Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. And welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. I'm joined by my colleague, Paul Rickard. How are you, Paul? I'm great, thanks, Peter. Okay, now we're doing a topic that you often think, ah, this is... It's been done to death. You don't believe in cryptocurrencies. But there are a lot of people out there who really do. And I know a lot of people hope that they could buy in maybe at two or 3000 and see it go to 20000 and 40000 It went to twenty, but it's now around 6000 or so. And uh, we've come across a, a story where the guy behind finder.com.au, Fred Chavesta, uh, the, the, the finder's getting involved in cryptocurrency. What do you think about that, Paul? Look, it's an interesting move, Peter. I should just... Disclose, I'm a bit of a crypto sceptic. Yeah. So, uh, but you're right. Look, it uh, had a huge move up. At least uh, Bitcoin went to high as about as almost about twenty thousand US back to around about six. But look, uh, look, some different people have different views about whether we're going to be able to use cryptocurrencies to pay bills and do transactions. So mm. it's worth. Uh, Worth hearing what, what Fred's got to say and just find out whether there is a, still a future for cryptocurrencies or is the cryptocurrency fad all done and dusted? Yeah, the, given the fact that Finder wants to do something to help people find cryptocurrencies makes you think that he must be a believer. Anyway, we'll find out from Fred in a moment. And also, because the end of the tax year is looming and there are so many things that people don't know which we're going to share with them. I guess you call them end-of-year tax tips, Paul, and we're going to toss around a few good ones this afternoon. Yeah, but some of the easy ones, particularly about superannuation, uh, getting the government to help uh, make a contribution to your super. There's also things like the spouse tax offset. But, but just generally, Peter, making sure you've got those tax deductions in, in place. So only so many more sleeps to go before the end of financial year. I know I get excited. You get excited. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I kind of do get excited, <laughs> Paul. <laughs> I, uh, I swallowed, as I said, excited, Peter. But anyhow, we can, uh, we, we'll share some... Uh, some things that you might like to do at home. Yeah, uh, there are last-minute things you can yep. do, particularly if you think you're going to have a, a big tax bill this year. And also, I think some of the stuff we, we'll talk about will help you plan for next year because even if you, you can't do much this year, maybe next year you will resolve to, to do it properly. Okay, without any further ado, let's go to the finder or the founder of finder.com.au, Fred Shabesta. <laughs> Fred, thanks for joining us. No worries, Peter. Good to, he- good, to ha- good to have a chat with you. Yeah, for sure. Now, Fred, before we talk about your interest in cryptocurrency, you are the founder of finder.com.au? That's the one, okay. yeah. Uh, the, what, yeah. So, so where did the idea come from for this? For, for Finder? Yeah, for Finder. We all know about you. Yeah. No one ever talks about the history. Where did it come from? That's true. Uh, I was... Um, I was a, a an entrepreneur. I didn't have much money at the time, and I was struggling it out. And I used to just basically compare everything to save a dollar here and there. So it was a natural thing for me to save money for people. Um, and I guess all throughout my life, I've helped people make really good decisions in their life, and it's really changed their life. And I, I just started writing guides uh, on a blog. Um, and, and, and the first one I wrote was a student credit card guide on how you know, students can choose credit cards. And then I... I wrote about balance transfers. I wrote about fixed flyer points and just 
uh, the, you know, really then got other people to join us and write even better guides than me. And we've just been continuously writing guides to help people make you know, life-changing decisions, really. And then mm. on that, we tend to put um, comparison tables. Um, and um, yeah, over the last nine years now, um, it's been quite a quite a quite an intense ride. And two years ago, I went to New York City and opened up Finder.com. And in last year in January, I went to London and opened up Finder.co.uk. There mm. was it hard to get the the um domain names given the fact that so many names have been taken oh yeah super hard uh did, did it cost it, you it, money it a lot of, yeah yeah it, it, it cost a lot uh the u.s domain finder.com costs about three hundred thousand u.s dollars yeah but i guess it's worth it when you know you can you can bring a good business model and take it to a new market okay mate so let's go to the reason why we're talking today is yeah, you you've shown an interest in cryptocurrency and such that you you want to be able to, I presume, help people compare what like what are you doing with cryptocurrency? Yeah, so um, I guess people want to buy different coins, and we compare the different exchanges where you can buy them. Yeah. Um, so some some coins can only be bought with other coins, or um, certain exchanges only allow certain types of fiat currency to be loaded in. Uh, so that's one thing we help. The other thing we do is compare wallets. So if you want to store certain coins, they only fit in certain wallets. Um, and we do have a bit of mining comparison. And then we write price predictions. Um, we write uh, upcoming technologies. We review trends and really talk about the sentiment in the market because cryptocurrency is a very sentiment-driven uh, business. Mm. Hey, look, my colleague, Paul Rickard, who's here, uh, you know, is a bit of a cryptocurrency skeptic rather than cynic skeptic. Being an ex-banker as well, it probably explains it. But you know, there are a lot of negative stories around. What, what is the level of interest you've gauged about cryptocurrency? I, I figured that would be the main reason why you've shown an interest in going to that area with finder.com.au. So, yeah, I guess consumer interest was one thing that drove it. Um, you know, throughout that September, October, November, December, January period, that was one thing. But... For me, primarily, um, I look at cryptocurrency as actually a hedge for the finder business mm. because at its core, cryptocurrency is really going to disrupt a lot of the traditional finance and banking markets. They're going to adapt. You know, Traditional banks, what you see them today, they'll adapt to cryptocurrency in the future, no doubt about it, but they're going to look very different. A lot more transparency. Uh, stock exchanges are going to dramatically change. Like all the exchanges that exist, trade and real-time settle. Um, you don't need to wait, you know, two to three days to get your money. Um, you can just trade it immediately. Um, the other thing that's going to be massive is securities. So when you do an, instead of doing an IPO, you could do an ICO, in other words, an initial coin offering. Uh, and, and that's been obviously a, a great channel for people to raise up money. And the, the best thing about it is that when you're an early investor, as opposed to waiting forever, uh, you know, five, seven years to get your money back, or if you ever do, you can immediately start to exchange and transfer uh, that and, and trade the actual coin itself. So you get exposure immediately to the um, to liquidity, which, you know, changes the whole dynamic as such when in terms of the de-risking in the, uh, of, your, of, of the investments. So Fred, it's um, Paul Rickard uh, here. Uh, look, just coming back to that point about uh, particularly, let's take, take Bitcoin, we, we saw the price... At one stage, get up towards almost 
20,000 US dollars, very fleeting, I think. And then almost as soon as sort of Bitcoin sort of started to get acceptance on, I think a couple of uh, the larger currents, the futures exchanges in the US started having contracts, the price came down. We're now around about 6,000 US dollars or thereabouts. I mean, do you still think that, uh, I suppose a bit of a sceptic, you don't think the sort of the fad's sort of over? You, you, you think this is going to at some stage find more general acceptance and, and, and governments and so forth will, will get behind them? A hundred percent. This is going to be mainstream. If you look at the IMF website right now, they've got Bitcoin on the front page. If you look at um, all the major investment banks, they're opening Bitcoin trading desks. NASDAQ, uh, Boston Exchange are all looking to onboard cryptocurrency. The price of Bitcoin is nothing in relation to, I guess, the acceptance of the amount of people that are going into this space and the things that they're doing. Bitcoin is just one of the coins. Um, the key to look at is, you know, there are futures and, and, and um, derivatives markets that are being built um, on, on blockchain. So you can mm-hmm. have a derivative of the weather or a derivative of um, a, 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 a sports team or whatever it may be. Um, and, and, and all the use cases that it surround that, uh, particularly I think securities exchange, uh, securities that is, and then exchanging those securities. So when I say that, I mean, let's say you open up a lemonade stand and, and Paul, you get, um, you know, 300 shares. Peter, you get 300 shares and I get 300 shares. We go and sell all our lemonade. We make a hundred bucks. And we make, you know, a hundred bucks profit. We distribute that over cryptocurrency to each other. Um, we don't need necessarily, you know, fiat currency to do that. You can just simply, put the profits in tokens um, and send it immediately without a bank to each other. Um, but all those contracts, so, you know, Corporations Act does actually, I read a white paper actually about, um, you can actually replace shares for securities uh, if you read the um, Corporations Act. And essentially, there's nothing stopping us um, moving into this new market where instead of pieces of paper, you just have them digitally written into contracts. Yeah, I was interested today. I don't know if you saw the story from the Bank of International Settlements, and they really gave cryptocurrency um, a real caning, saying it's just failing on on the three conventional assessments of currency, namely medium of exchange, you know, its acceptance factor. But they also even pointed out that um, cryptocurrencies and the mining of them has a, an environmental effect. Did you come across that that story? Yeah, I actually think um, I think um, the two things on that. One is it's amazing. That it's very interesting that they're writing about it in the first place. Yeah. Because they're, if you think about what their entire business is built on, they'd need to write about it. Mm. And that they have actually acknowledged it is, is a great thing in and of itself. Um, the second thing in terms of environment, I think Bitcoin uh, and cryptocurrencies and then mining in general is probably the greatest thing for environmentalism that's ever actually been created. Because finally we're talking about how much power computers are using. Like, how much power does Telstra, Optus, um, all these massive corporations use inefficiently in their data centers? Just computers whirring away. Have we ever actually considered that? And the other thing is, how do we, if you think about where, where do all the cryptocurrency miners go, they go straight to renewable sources because they need the cheapest power possible. So all these new solar farms, are actually popping up. All these new wind farms are popping up. If you look at some of the new coins that are coming out, they're purely built on solar, um, which is unbelievable, right? So even if cryptocurrency mining, which I do think eventually in the future will probably um, sort of fade away to some extent, because cryptocurrency mining is just one technique of proving, you know, that the, the blockchain is correct. 
Um, whereas there's a whole lot of other techniques, and the newer blockchains that are coming out don't have that technique. Right? They won't need mining. Uh, instead, what will happen um, is those, those new systems, those new solar power, and all that power will get converted to actually powering uh, and, and replacing this coal energy, um, which we are pretty much running on in Australia to some extent. And around the world, if you look at where all the big cryptocurrency miners are, they're plugged in straight into hydro dams. They're plugged in straight into solar farms. In Iceland, they connect straight into volcanoes. Um, you know, and I think if you look at look at that actual discussion point, finally, we're talking about, you know, cryptocurrency is is relatively small compared to how many computers there are whirring away in these corporations all around Australia and all around the world, yeah. inefficiently just making and using electricity. And, and finally, we're having a, a real discussion about power creation. Yeah. Yeah, that's a new topic. That's great. I love it. Fred, you are a modern, new age, outside the square thinker. Uh, and yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see whether you're right in the long run. Mate, thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks, James Peter. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Fred. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Well, yeah, if he, if he ends up being right. Well, that was Fred Chabester, the founder of finder.com.au, and it's now time for an ad break. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Now, here's Switzy. Well, welcome back, everybody. I should have thrown in um, the very important point in that little ad um, by that woman who sounded quite manic as she read out the 3.89% advertised rate. In actual fact, our headline rate, that's the 3.89% rate, is exactly the same as the comparison rate of interest. So our comparison rate is 3.89%, Paul. And we actually should explain to people, what is the difference between the headline rate and the comparison rate? Good question, Peter. The headline rate is the actual interest rate you're going to be charged on a per annum basis. So if it's 3.89 and you borrow a loan for $100,000, you'll pay 3.89%. However, there are a lot of other fees involved in taking out a home loan. Yep. And there are also other things to do with home loans. Sometimes the headline rate is only there for a period of time. Yeah. And so the, what the uh, uh, ASIC did was put a formula in place to allowing people to effectively compare rates that takes into account some of those other fees. For example, on many loans, you'll pay a monthly, trans effectively a transaction fee, yep. $8, $12 a month. Uh, often when you take out a loan, you'll pay some establishment fees. And often the set the headline rate will only be there for 12 months. So they, they put a formula in place which allows you effectively to compare pretty close to the all-up cost and express it back as an interest rate. So It's like um, the real interest rate, not in terms of what economists... Economists say the real interest rate is what you pay um, in, also involving the inflation rate. But what you're really going to pay for taking a loan is in the comparison rate, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, that's pretty close to it. So yeah. probably if you are trying to compare home loans, I think the, the bottom line for our listeners is to uh, look at the comparison rate. That, that's going to give you a closer approximation to the true cost. Yeah, and I've seen some advertised rates that say 3.7%, but the comparison rate is like 42 can be a half a percent difference. So just don't get conned 
by not at least asking the question, what is the comparison rate on some attractive home loans? Now, Paul, we promised that we would talk about some tax tips as the end of the financial year looms on June 30. What are the, some, of the, some of the standout ones that our listeners should be thinking about? Well, let's start with the tax side and come back to super. I'm going to probably just spend more time on super, but the, the, the tax one is there's sort of two common things from a taxation point of view you can do. First of all, if you're able to, you can bring forward the payment of some of your expenses. Mm. And that depends whether you're running a business. A little hard if you're, if you're just a personal taxpayer, but certainly a lot of businesses are allowed to bring forward and prepay expenses. So potentially you can prepay up to 13 months worth in, in, and still claim it in the current tax year. So if you're a small business, you might have some expenses that you can pay this year and get the tax deduction this year. Yep. For a personal investor, uh, obviously that sort of idea of prepaying expenses works best when it comes to interest. Say, for example, you might have an, an investor loan. Yep. For, a, you for might a property to, or something like that, property, or shares. And you might be able to prepay the interest for the next 13 months. Mm. So the current interest plus effectively the next 12 months, and you claim all the 13 months interest in this current, get the deduction in this current tax year. Now, it doesn't actually, all, all it does is bring forward the timing of the deduction. So you won't get any more back from the tax office, mm. but you'll get it back in this 12 months rather than having to wait another 12 months. if you've got a cash months. flow problem yeah. now, it can be a really good strategy. Yeah, so it's just, it's just a timing strategy, but it makes perfect sense uh, if you've got a bit of a cash flow issue or you just want to you know, effectively use that money, you know, the, the time value of money, we mm. call it, in, in, in the trade. So that's sort of strategy number one, so bring forward your expenses. Um, another strategy, of course, is just on timing issues. So, look, again, think of it as, as a personal taxpayer. Uh, you might have a charity or something you want to support, and uh, if you're going to make a donation, well, then, you know, do it in the next seven or eight working days rather than wait till July to make that donation. That way you'll be able to claim the tax deduction for this current tax year. Yep. That's a bit of a no-brainer. Look, there are obviously things to do with some other expenses to do with uh, both rental properties and, and things like um, also to do with uh, work expenses, but they're a little harder to sort of... Fudge those, I won't say the word fudge, Peter, but actually be a little inventive with only a week Crazy. and a half to do. So yeah. I, I think uh, I think that there are things you can do, but they're, they're more about prepayment. They're more about things like donations, uh, property expenses. Well, look, there are some things you might still be able to arrange this, this before 30th of June, but if you can, look at sort of the timing of some of those yeah, things. Yeah, it seems to me, Paul... The best advice we can ever give anyone who's never really been to an accountant or even a tax agent might be at least go to an accountant or a tax agent as you get towards the end of the financial year in case they can come up with some ideas that could help you. Uh, Work-related expenses, they usually have the, the, the ones that you can easily claim. And also the ATO website's not bad for the deductible expenses for various occupations, I think. Yeah, the ATO website's a good place to go. We should also mention just on the capital side, so there, you know, it, we, we were uh, doing this show on a Tuesday, Peter. There's still eight working days to go before the end of uh, the tax year, 29th of June, next Friday week. And so on the capital side, of course, it's just timed if you're an investor and you've had some capital gains through the year. You might like to look at your portfolio of stocks or, or assets and think about whether... You know, you might have some losses. It might make sense to actually crystallise before mm. the 30th of June. So there's a whole aspect around sort of capital gains tax as well, just to sort of make sure that your portfolio, uh, you, from a tax point of view, is as, is, as, is as efficient as you can make it. And remember, 
if you made a loss in a previous year, don't forget about it. So, mm. you know, losses can be carried forward from one tax year to the next. These, these are capital losses. And if you took a capital loss some years ago and you've never used it, yep. you might be able to offset it this tax year against the gain you've well, taken. Well, let me ask a question that I'm sure some listeners might be a little bit confused about because you did throw the word capital losses. If I've made a loss, I, I, I bought, say, a BHP when it was thirty forty $40 and it dropped down to, to 14 and I got I panicked and, and sold out and therefore I lost some money on BHP. Can I take that loss and take it away from my income tax or is it specifically for your gains on shares and your losses on shares? That's a great question, Peter. The, the, the good or bad news, depending on your perspective, is no, you can't just offset it against your income tax. Hmm. So uh, unless capital losses can only be offset against capital gains. So hmm. that's why I'm saying that uh, yep. you know, if you have made a loss, a capital loss one year, and you can't use it, well, you can carry it forward from that's one important. tax year yeah. to the next. Hmm. And so, you know, this year, maybe you made a capital loss last year or the year before that, and you might still be able to use it. So yeah. they're not forgotten, but they obviously they just use their time value. I money. would bet you, Paul, there are a lot of people who, when they're new to the stock market game, have actually lost money on shares and didn't realise that that loss of theirs, and it can, it can be, if it's five years old, can they still use it? Yep, no, no, no time limit. There's no time limit, let, so let, Let's talk about the super ones, Peter, okay. I think there's a couple of changes this year that make super thinking interesting from a 30th of June perspective. Okay. The big one is, uh, is the eligibility we now, potentially everyone has, is still to be able to claim a tax deduction for making super contributions. Yeah. Now, this has to fall within the so-called concessional cap of $25,000. That's the the cap the government has for all people who make super contributions. Uh, And this is the amount that that your employer puts in, the compulsory 9.5%, plus any amount you salary sacrifice. And then there's a third amount is any amount you're able to claim as a tax deduction. Mm. Now, what the big change this year is that to be able to claim a tax deduction, you used to have to meet a, a... a very quite a strict work test. It was designed for the self-employed. Yep, that's all gone. So now there's any, no discrimination. No discrimination. Yep. Anyone can now claim a tax deduction. So let me give you an example, and yep. I'm, I'm going to pick a round number here because it's just easier with a round number. Yep. The cap is twenty-five thousand dollars. This is your concessional contribution cap. That's the cap. You can't exceed it. Twenty-five thousand yep. dollars over a year. Full stop. Yep. Let's say you're on a salary of a hundred thousand dollars. And your employer has put in 9.5%, which is the compulsory amount. So $9,500. $9,500 has already gone into super. Let's say during the year you've also um, done some salary sacrifice because you wanted to boost your superannuation, and we all know salary sacrifice is a pretty tax-effective strategy, and your salary sacrifice another $10,000. $19,500. Against that cap of $25,000, the employer's 9500 your salary sacrifice about $10,000. Yep. If you've still got some cash left over now... Yeah. Just a, right? a lazy seven or th- 8000 Your mass is a little astray here, which worries me, Peter. No, I know it's 6000 <laughs> Well, we'll get to you there in a minute. If you had a lazy up to $5,500... 5500 <laughs> Okay, yes, right. La- I thought if you had 7000 around, you'd, you'd be able to you know, live with that the five and yeah. a half. Okay. The other one That's and a half you're you. thinking a bit more positively. Yeah, exactly. But right. it could be any amount. It could be $500. It doesn't yeah. have to be 5500 but up to 5500 Up to 25000 No, no, up to $5,500. Yeah. You could put that into super now before the 30th of June and claim a tax deduction this current tax year. Yeah. 
Okay, and that's the big change. So if you haven't used your concessional contributions cap of $25,000 and you have some cash left over and you want to get a tax deduction, get it into your super fund before the 30th of June. And it means, Paul, that if you've paid your your full rate of tax on those dollars and you've then swung them into um, um, your super fund, does it result in a tax refund? Uh, it, it'll still give you a tax refund. It'll give yeah. you a tax deduction. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, again, look, the only downside to this strategy, of course, is once the money goes into super, mm. you can't get it out. So that's the only downside. Yeah. But if you do have the cash flow and you are at home and uh, you've got a bit of, bit of left over that, and you still have room under that cap of $25,000, get it into your super farm before the 30th of June uh, and claim a tax deduction. It's a good now, rule you, change, isn't it's it? It's a good rule change. You do have to tell your super fund hmm. it's a deduction that you're going to claim a tax deduction for. Yeah. So they will generally have a form on their website hmm. or some way that you need to notify them. So that's that's strategy number one. Yeah. And let me go through the two strategies for what we call low-income earners or people that might have uh, low-income spouses. Yeah. So the first one, of course, is the, the so-called co-contribution from the government. This has been around for decades, introduced by John Howard, this is the way that the government chips in up to $500 into your superannuation account. Yep. Yep. It's, an, it's a no-brainer. It's a free money. Yep, free money. You or somebody need to make a personal contribution of $1,000. So for $1,000 personal contribution, they put in $500. Hmm. And, of course, you've got, they have to, or the person involved has to pass the income tests. Uh, for this year, their income has to be under uh, $36,000. Uh, $813 to get the whole amount. So if you're on 36 grand and, and you put a thousand for your spouse, she would get a $500 from the government straight into a yeah, super. She, sorry, her income is $36,813 or less. Yep. You chop and put in $1,000 into her super, yeah. she'll get back at some stage $500 back from the government. In can, her she, super. can she simply do it herself if she happens yeah, to Yeah, absolutely, yeah. sure. Or so he, she, also be yeah, your yeah. partner. Okay. But or your adult child. So you don't need to have someone to do it for you. If you've got the money there, you get the co-contribution. As long as the contribution. So I, I do, used to do this now. My kids have, have left home and they're mm. working. But when my kids are at university, as a very generous and loving father, Peter. You are. Uh, and in those days, it was. <laughs> in those days, it was 1000 for 1000 wasn't it? Was it was 1000 But it. even a couple of years ago. So yeah. a way to boost their super. Yeah, uh, put $1,000 into their super and they, their super is boosted. Do you remind them of this at Christmas time just in case? I'll remind them in my deathbed, I reckon. <laughs> remember, <laughs> okay. that, remember that contribution to your super. No, over. we don't, Dad. We don't. Move on. <laughs> Move okay. On. So that's the, the old co-contribution. And the last one, yeah. of course, this is for you. This is the spouse tax offset. So this is where you make a contribution into your spouse's super and you get the tax offset. This has been around for decades as well, but the big change this year is that the the limit on your spouse's income has been increased from $10,000, or effectively used to stop out at $13,000, it now goes as high as $40,000. Yeah, which is a really good change. So if you want to get effectively a tax offset of $540, providing your spouse earns less than $40,000, $37,000 to get the, the, the whole amount, make a contribution to their super of $3,000. Some people will be wondering, what is the difference between a tax offset and a tax deduction? Tax deduction, of course, just reduces your tax you payable, so you only get a proportion of the tax deduction back, yeah. whereas a tax offset is a rebate to tax. So if, mm. you have a, if, you have a, if your tax bill is $100 mm. and you get a tax offset of 50 you only pay the government 50 Yeah, right? so that's the important no? difference. But... The way that a tax deduction works is before you got to the tax payable calculation, 
you actually looked at your all your income mm. and you subtracted the deduction from your income and then you assessed the tax at a percentage rate. So you yeah. only get a proportion of a tax. So if you're in the rate. if you're in the forty seven percent tax rate, yeah, forty seven percent. So effectively de- a tax deduction. offset for a high income taxpayer is twice as valuable yeah. Yeah. as a tax deduction. Love the tax offset. Love the tax offset. Love the tax offset. Look, this is a way you boost your spouse's super and of course we all know what's happened with super over the year. They put caps on it. Uh, again, it's a no-brainer, long-term strategy. The super is just going to get tougher mm. all the time. The more you can do to even out your super with your spouse, mm. providing the relationship is good, yep. you're going to stand in a better position long-term because you can guarantee things like that 1.6 million rule, there'll be other rules that will come yep. in super over the next couple of decades where it will pay to have a fairly even balance between you and your spouse. And, and just super. imagine the love your spouse is going to show you when you tell her. I've just put some money in. Oh, sure, I'm getting a tax offset, but you're going to be the biggest beneficiary of this. I reckon it's the, the fundamental building blocks of a great relationship. It is. On that note, Peter, we should go to an ad break. We should. <laughs> and now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. So stick with Switzer and get rich. Where are my teeth? Well, that's a really good idea. Um, stick with Switzer. And one thing I, I should re-emphasise, Paul, is when that woman was talking about the 3.89% advertise rate, our comparison rate is exactly the same. So make sure that when you are looking for a loan that you ask about the comparison rate. All right, it's time for us to answer some listener questions. This one comes from Gregory in Penrith. He says, I have three young grandsons and can currently open three junior bank accounts at CUA Australia paying 4% up to $5,000 each for zero cost. I'm not interested in insurance bonds, but would like to know what are the steps and costs involved in creating trust funds for grandchildren and would I be the trustee who can make the investment decisions for the trust? Let's do the latter part of the question. Sure, you could be the trustee and you could make the investment decisions. It's purely how you structure the trust. Hmm. I think on this one, you're really going to need to talk to an accountant, Greg, because I just on those amounts of money, I'd be very surprised whether a, a trust is going to make a lot of sense. It's one of the reasons we do recommend insurance bonds, not because we've got any relationship with the people, not because hmm. we like the name. But the complexity of a trust fund and taxation of miners uh, you know, is, is pretty complicated. The government's continually trying to crack down on this stuff. Yeah. And uh, as, as, as I think your accountant is going to say to you, you know, they can earn $416 and pay zero tax. But on the $417, the tax rate goes up to 66%. And it stays that way until it hits until about eleven hundred dollars. It comes back to forty seven percent. So mm. the, the amount of income that you're going to get to get into the hands of your grandsons in a tax advantage way is going to be pretty small. So I wouldn't rule it out, but I think this is where you go and talk to an accountant. Make mm. sure you understand the pros and cons of this. 
And I would, would not be surprised if your accountant says to you at the end of the conversation, this is not the best idea. Yeah, and particularly if he's got at least 10 years in which he wants to make contributions and whatever, I think the insurance bonds make a lot more sense tax effectively, I think, Paul. I, I look, and that's why I look, I look, as an investment product, they're not the greatest investment product mm. because you know, the fees are around about 1%. It's a bit on the high side. Mm. But they are just so tax effective if you hold them for 10 years. And remember, not only you got to worry about your kids' tax, you've got to worry about any problems that you might have. You don't, mm. you don't want to inherit a tax bill either. So mm. tax is a big issue when you're talking about investing for others and particularly over a long period of time. And I think, uh, you know, there's no magic panacea about trust funds either. They're expensive to run. You need to get, you have to get accounting. You've got to pay an accountant each year for them to, to uh, audit mm, them and that sort right. of stuff. If you've got billions of dollars, Greg, yep, I reckon you might find this as a solution. Mm. I'm sorry, I don't, I'd be surprised uh, when you're talking about $5,000 for each of your kids and there's, we didn't read that out, but uh, I'd be surprised this is the right answer. Here. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to Chris now with a K in Sydney. And I've been going through my superannuation fund transactions, and I saw I have a tax on contribution tax in there. Sometimes this transaction is adding to my super. Sometimes it's deducting. What's going on here? Yeah. Look, I saw this question uh, from Chris. We could got this a little earlier, Peter, and I actually uh, went to one of my members in the team here and said, look, can I look at your super statement? Yeah. And uh, can I have my own self-managed super fund as to you? And, yeah. and uh, looked at her super statement. And, yeah, there's like there's hundreds of entries, and yes, there's tax there's tax being deducted and tax being added back in. And uh, it's what I suspected. And of course, let's I understand why it's so hard for you know somebody who's who's you know most people don't have a lot of interest in superannuation. It's no. not exactly the most riveting of topics. We know that, Peter. We're passionate about it, but most well, people... Well, we, we can see the future. Most people can't see the future. Most people but... don't have too much interest. And I don't blame them for that. But I looked at her, her super statement, and it goes for pages. And it, you can crazy. understand why it's so complicated. Complicates. Anyhow, let me give you the quick answer. First of all, on the contributions from your employer or any salary sacrifice contributions, there's tax at 15%. So if your employer is putting in $1,000 of super, let's say that's the monthly contribution, mm. there's going to be a tax deducted of $150. So mm. only 850 of that $1,000 actually gets invested in the fund. Mm. That's what's, that's what and that's talking. the way the super yep. system works. That's the way the super system works. On the contribution. Yep. yep. Okay. But also, as I looked further at that statement, some of that money of the resulting amount is then going into insurance. Right. Okay, and that's a good idea for yeah. many people. You have compulsory, you know, third-party uh, TPD insurance and life insurance through super. But it so happens insurance is a tax deduction for the fund. <laughs> and, so, okay. and so although you're paying an expense and you'll see a line item there yeah. as being the insurance premium being deducted from your fund, yeah. there's actually a, effectively a tax rebate. So, so a portion of a, that premium a portion is, that is, is coming back as effectively as a tax deduction. It's a good so, piece of research, Paul. So that's what that's the actual tax being added back. So you have a fifteen percent deduction on all the whole amount going in, and then any amount that's just being applied for for insurance is actually acting like a tax deduction, and you're getting a fifteen percent of that back as a tax deduction. Mm. That's why you're getting debits and credits mm. on tax. Okay. How anyone out there who's not familiar with this stuff is supposed to know? There's no explanation, Peter. This the statement it would drive at, people to drink. It would drive people to drink, and it's happening every month. So the statement's going, you know, pages and pages of it. You know. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the final one. This is from Matthias in Wollongong, and uh, he says, "My partner and I are about to enter into a divorce." 
We have two children who are members of our joint self-managed super fund. Is there any simple way to determine how our children's assets may be split from this into two new SMFs? Right. Well, strictly speaking, it's not the divorce and your and your doesn't actually relate to your two children because your super assets technically what normally happens with superannuation on on divorce is it's split fifty fifty. Right. That's the general principle, unless there's a, an argument that you make in the family court about how you've concurred different, you know, different responsibilities looking after children after divorce. But it's normally fifty-fifty. Um, look again, this is how those assets might then, then be divided uh, with your children. That's going to be something I think you're going to need to talk to uh, probably a solicitor about. There's no simple way. Um, and I'm struggling just to think how to best answer the let question. Me, let me throw a few questions at you. Yep. Let me throw a few, on behalf of Matthias. First up, um, if his wife just wants to take her portion of a super fund and say roll it into Australian super, that can be done without any cost. It should be done. Mm. Yeah, that, that's correct. Okay. And so I'm assuming also this is not a segregated super fund. Mm. So... If, if, whenever we have a segregated fund, the, the, the assets are specifically designed for different members. So mm. some of the assets might be his, some of the assets might be hers. That's clear. Some of the assets might belong to the kids if they're also members. Yeah. So most funds are not segregated, yeah. and so you're right. So if a divorce happens and one of the partners wants to get out of that self-managed super fund, what will normally happen is the assets effectively, you know, they'll be entitled to their half share. Yeah. And uh, whatever, sorry, whatever their their proportion share. share is, yeah. and the relevant proportion. It's has to be probably sold. likely that the, the husband and wife have a bigger proportion than the, the sons. That's not necessarily true, but it's, it's highly likely. Um, but it's also possible if the father and the two sons want to keep the fun going, or the mother and the two sons want to get, keep the fun going, and the and the father wants to move out of the fun. All that's possible. But you're right, Paul. They're going to need some advice by someone who's a superannuation expert, aren't they? Yeah, this is definitely an advice question, and that's why we, we're struggling to answer this in, in, in uh, outside sort of more general principles. Yeah, yeah, so we we need all so. the information, and even then, it's, kind of, it's the kind of question, Paul, that our financial planners get too, don't they? It is, and look, this is where a good financial planner, a good, a good lawyer can help you, so don't, don't be shy to pay for the right advice. Yeah. Uh, and the super fund will pay for it. Well, potentially, yeah. I mean, again, it might have to pay for it. Yeah. Uh, but look, again, and this is some. We also say to people there are sometimes downsides of of getting going into things like self managed super unless you sort of understand what the what your requirements are. And uh, divorce can be one of those trickier issues. But I would definitely be saying to the person, Matthias, get some advice here from the right. Uh, expert, mm. and they'll explain exactly how it's all going to work. Okay, that's great. Well, that's, that's the end of our little Q&A section. Paul, thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks, Peter. That's the show for this week. Don't forget, next week we'll be back with the same kind of show with just new guests and new questions to answer. Make sure you turn up and listen to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining us. Mm.